Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Um, yeah, first of all, thanks for inviting me and organizing this little uh, session here. Um, I will try to uh, keep it short because normally when I present this type of material, it's kind of loaded and I, there's so much stuff to talk about. Um, um, and I will not. I will try to make it uh, less about art, more about the, uh, say, critical analysis and thinking a bit. So I put a title here called uh, as creative and critical use of complex networks. And I want to start first with the, what, what I mean with complex networks uh, uh, in general. So when we think about complexity and complex things in general, usually what, what we mean is, or what we look at is uh, these independent agents talking with each other and interacting with each other in some way and together constitute a very complex system to run. As an example, like telecommunication systems, you have these, you know, obviously devices sending data to each other or, you know, in the market in general, companies are partnerships with each other and so on and so forth, or in our body. We have the you know the neuron systems sending signals to each other. These are all like you know systems where we have in, in independent agents interacting with each other and together constitute a very complex system that runs. Um, but if you want to understand any complex system, the first thing to do is really uh, to make a make a wiring diagram of it, meaning you know make dots and then uh, links in between them, and uh, use uh, this little uh, uh, representation technique to start uh, understanding the, the the diagram, the infrastructure, the structure of the complexity. Um, so uh, this is usually called network diagrams, obviously, and you've probably seen this anywhere. If you just just search big data today on you know, Google images, image searches, you'll find all of these uh, diagrams. Um, but I want to step back and really look at what, it, how it's really useful and how it's really actually uh, can be used in your own work as well. So if you just take uh, these three examples, uh, the first one is just some devices talking to each other through their IP addresses, uh, sending you know messages, data, whatever we do today. Um, or take like you know three or four people who are film actors uh, who might be play, uh, acting in the same movie. That's why they're connected here. And then take like some companies who are shareholders of each other, and this is also like you know connected uh, to each other there. So. These three different systems, they have very different scope, they have very different uh, content, but you may, they, may have, they have the same um, uh, structure in terms of their you know, dots and connections, you know, only four nodes and only four connections in between. Um, so this is a very common and generic language that's both visual and mathematical at the same time. That means uh, we don't... Uh, we can, by just looking at it, we can uh, reveal some interesting information. We can start reading it, like any other image and text. And at the same time, we can uh, use cal make calculations on this image itself, which is the, itself data. It's not just representation. It's a kind of it's a data itself. So um, um, the, this this technique uh, basically has been is been used used you know for a very long time in fact in, in the world like since 60s more or less as far as i know uh, by the governments and corporations you know uh, around the world this is one example of them uh, i got this uh, in 2010 from a news article on new york times talking about you know the 
it says police find a car bomb in Times Square. Uh, it was a bombing attempt, uh, and then the, in the picture, what you have is like Obama with the NYP, New York Police Department trying to kind of solve this thing. Actually, they pose in front of this image. In, in their background, they have a diagram of evidences, and, and you know some images talk connected to other images, maybe people as well as you know some other events there. So they make it a network diagram to understand to kind of reveal the the the. Um, they're trying to find a solution, or maybe you know they investigate this thing uh, using this technique. Um, so um, the mapping, this technique is again like, you know available for governments and for corporations for quite a long time. But um, so far, so good. All the tools that that are out there and, uh, for network analysis was, were actually designed by the experts for the experts mostly. Um, and that's why I was uh, uh, I, I started to think, think about this issue and then started building uh, tools uh, for the really general public to be able to use this technique on their own projects and, and in data projects in general. Um, so, um, and in fact, we know that today, like anyone who wants to do some like reporting, some some data research, you just go online, find different sources, and combine them into your Excel sheet or whatever, and then start. Uh, analyzing that field, you know, whatever your topic is about. Um, so that's clear, it's out there, we all, we all do this anyways. Um, so, of course, as you, you know, as, as at the, you know, at ODI, you already, you know, uh, uh, this is kind of your mission in, in, in this organization. Uh, you kind of, you know, promote open data, data openness and so on, and the use of open data as well. Um, but I think uh, what's important is to have also tools that will help us to use that open data. That's kind of easier than uh, uh, and what's out there already. And the other thing is, uh, most in the past as well, this is today more, more normal, but uh, many individuals and small organizations uh, was considered, you know, uh, really not technical or didn't have data at all, or nothing to do with data at all. It was like a myth, myth about data in general. So this is changing, obviously, and then more, more people and more organizations are aware of this, and people know that in their pocket there's a, a, a device that measures everything around, around us. Uh, so that means data is out there already. Um, but the thing is, when the data is open and out there, yes, we can benefit from that, but the, the important part is like when, uh, as we all know as well, like when the data is interlinked, only then it starts making uh, some generating value, right? It, on its own as a list, it's not much, you know, it's just uh, some summary of things. But when you connect, interconnect data to each other, when you link basically, it's called linked data today, to each other, you start, you know, correlating things to each other, which generates value, uh, obviously. Um, so that's why I, I've focused on this a lot and then uh, start building these platforms to basically, um, uh, and to interconnect our data to each other, you know, and so that we can together see a bigger picture and, and, and you know, whatever our, our cause is about. And GraphCom's platform started with this idea. And the name, uh, I want to talk about the name a bit, why it's called GraphCommons rather than something graph. Because as you know, in the world, we have all these uh, things like Facebook's social graph, Google's uh, knowledge graph, Spotify's music graph, this, some other companies' interest graph, and so on and so forth. But um, uh, I think they, I mean, they are all proprietary graphs, as we all know. We don't own it. It's owned by these companies. So my goal was to really kind of uh, reverse it and make it some, not something graph, but graph comes instead. So this is a play platform where people can make different graphs, obviously import their data as a graph, 
uh, analyze it as well as interconnect it with other graphs, and obviously also publish it in this uh, uh, through this platform. Uh, um, uh, the platform started with uh, these workshops instead that I w that I was doing for some time. Uh, workshops on how to make maps, network maps, and how to analyze network maps. I've been doing this since 2007, quite a long time now. You see some old versions of the GraphCom's interface on the video. Um, and here people usually uh, do hand-drawn diagrams first, uh, start, which means they do like modeling. They do like kind of a model for their data at first in the network form. And then they start you know, bringing in data to that model, fit it fit into the model, and start building a complex network diagram, which becomes their knowledge base, a network knowledge base that they can use, infer more interesting you know, uh, results uh, from as their research grows and so on. And so, in, in, at first we started doing this by hand, then with some uh, kind of interim tools that I provided, and then finally, in around 2011, um, uh, I introduced this GraphCommons platform as a web page, a web, web platform where you can actually, within the browser, start, uh, you know, really uh, making network maps and using network maps uh, on, your, uh, on your projects. Um, yeah, so this is what the website looks like at the moment. Uh, and when you enter, basically, you there's a message and so on. There, there's a lot of examples here because one thing that's really important is to learn from examples, obviously. So people here make maps, a lot of different maps. There are thousands of thousands of maps at the moment. Um, and they are built by a variety of people in a variety of languages, you know, from Turkish to Chinese to Portuguese to English, really a lot. And, and and, um, and they are about a variety of topics. Usually investigative journalists are using these maps, uh, activists are using it, uh, small organizations are using it, NGOs especially, who wants to, um, who wants to uh, you know, make organizational analysis sometimes you know, in, of their networks and so on. Sometimes they do uh, research projects on its own, data research projects uh, on this platform. Um, and, and and, and also, you know, students obviously use it a lot, and a lot of design researchers also are employing these techniques in their own um, practice. Um, this is the one goal we, from the very beginning, was to have this platform collaborative. So you're not just making on your own a map and publish it. You always start a map and invite people to kind of build it together. But it's not as open as Wikipedia in that sense that this authorship is not not so visible. This is, you have heavy authorship in the system where you have you can see who is you know making which map together and so on and so forth. There's always joint ownership of the maps, and no need to say the maps are always licensed uh, with the Creative Commons licenses that are to, for the, uh, to the authors. They own completely entirety of what they're uh, doing there, um, and there are three ways to map here things like basically use first. Um, there's a what you see is what you get, like an interface, very simple, like visual interface, click, click, like, like the way you draw things. Here's a little example of that. Uh, you click on a canvas and uh, enter some types, you know, like I'm going to connect a person to another person, for instance. I click on one person, then another person, define what the relationship is about. You know, it could be like collaboration, friendship, you know, really many things actually. Uh, so. I start adding these things, and on this uh, interface, uh, it's a physics uh, physics simulation, uh, software physics simulation. So, think there's a gravity system. Nodes move around. It's based on the, how much they are close to each other, or how how connected to each other, basically. And this is a very, very typical force-directed layout algorithm at the end. Quite well known. Uh, there are many programs applying this technique. Um, 
and and um, <coughs> so this this visual technique is basically showing you how to uh, you know make a simple map, and then as you make it, it organizes itself, and then you have an idea of you know what it will look like over time. Uh, of course, mapping like this, like manually, is not so easy when you have a lot of data. I mean, this is a bit like mind mapping um, uh, level, so it's like you can really, you know, quickly sketch the same thing on a paper and pen, but it will take, it will, until like, f let's say, 50, 100 nodes, it will be very difficult, it will be very messy on paper, so it's useful to do it here instead. If you have more than that, which normally any research project has hundreds of information data type points in it, so you rather actually import uh, your data from an Excel sheet to this platform to turn it into a network diagram. So we have this, these templates, uh, like a typical spreadsheet or Excel sheet uh, templates where you can organize your data in certain way. Every row is a relationship, like from between two, from person Brock collaborates to person Mark, for instance, the connection, like the way I edit on the uh, interface. I can just take this and this can be a turn, this can turn into a basic uh, network diagram. This can take obviously like thousands of thousands of lines and then each it will be converted into an interactive network map right on when you import it. And thirdly, we have this uh, more for more advanced users, we have this um, API for programmatically enter data into this platform or use data from this platform because all the data out there which is public is there. You can query anything and then start inferring actually, you know, higher level knowledge from uh, by querying these graphs which are out there. Um, we also employ something called graph signals. Uh, it's uh, for capturing any event into the form of a gra graph uh, as it happens. And then uh, I can talk about this later if you have any questions on that. It is also the documentation available on this website, graphcoms.com slash dev, and is the, is the API documentation. So once you do your work, uh, when, you, when you create a map, you, the thing you do is like basically uh, call people, invite people to kind of work on that together. You know, that's the idea. Um, and usually, <coughs> uh, you know, there are many, uh, a bit like Wikipedia things, but you, rather than editing text, you edit a diagram. You edit this visual system together, basically, you know. Uh, this is one little screenshot showing that how people communicate with each other. Uh, we have this thing uh, called comment bar on the left and right hand side. Uh, people basically type in some things here. This is Turkish-English mix, I think. Um, um, uh, people, for instance, this is a map about Syrian refugees, uh, and then and what angels help uh, which uh, container camps uh, and stuff like that. So this journalist, they're actually making this map, and people coming to this page and actually uh, recommending these other links and other data points uh, about, the, or actually ask for changes in the map. So the maps actually, when they start, they're a bit immature, and then over time, they become uh, something very useful, uh, something uh, a useful reference over time as people add their information. Um, <coughs> when the maps are done, basically people, um, you know, you can look at these maps in multiple devices. They're all interactive, you know, touch, click, whatever you want to do. It's all available up there. And, and you publish your graphs, basically, to the world, which it means, uh, uh, um, you uh, you kind of cache it so it loads faster and stuff. There's all that uh, little te technological things in it. But at the same time, you, uh, you, when you share your maps on you know social platforms, they automatically get these cards and things, and then they become uh, socially available very quickly. And of course, no need to say you can embed your graph to your um, 
to your uh, own websites, like a YouTube video, you can embed an interactive map into your net, uh, blog post or website, to full screen, however you want. Um, just some examples, people using the graphs on their blogs, on, the, on Twitter feeds, make selections. And one thing to say is very important here, like any graph is usually a big world. It's not just a small or a story, you know. This is important because usually we tend to think about these things as like storytelling tools, which is not the case. Uh, it's a world usually, a database. You cannot, you know, tell the story of the whole database at once. It's impossible. So you always make captures from that, small sections, to tell this compelling story, basically. Uh, and then which when people click on that, they come into your graph and whatever the section is about. And then from there, they start exploring the other, other stories in other parts of the world. Okay. So we have this deep link system. That's why uh, you can address any node uh, with the full URL and, that you, that, and you can share that. It becomes a shareable uh, item on, on the web. Um, <clears throat> as I said, you can embed them. Uh, this is one example uh, when the prime minister in Turkey has changed. Uh, the, this news agency, BNet, is a quite important one in Turkey. They only publish on the internet, but they're really progressive. And they share the interactive map from their cover page uh, as a news piece um, and, and showing the, uh, minister, the prime minister's past work, which was Ministry of uh, uh, Transportation, and all their uh, contracts they've done to the uh, private companies and so on and so forth. They kind of published that as a big story, and this was used in the, uh, as an interactive map on their cover. Uh, you can also make prints uh, with these things, obviously, because they are SVG files, they are vector drawings. Um, you can, uh, you know, take that and turn it, put it into your Illustrator program if you want to, and uh, make a poster, you know, big prints. I make a lot of artwork and, and, and exhibitions with this uh, material, basically, where people can, you know, uh, sit in front of these things and discuss. It's important to have uh, prints because it's higher resolution. Screens are only limited to your, you know, screen size. You have to zoom in, zoom out to really see the entirety of things. Uh, <coughs> uh, making prints uh, is really helpful, actually. Basically, you see the, the whole thing at a glance, and then zoom into it, and then get immersed into the uh, printed material. Another example of print, for instance, a newspaper published a big uh, crime, um, a corruption case in Turkey. Uh, and is a, the story, all the, you know, the actors in the story are printed in a, as a diagram and, and vertically on, on, the, on the page. And this was used as post poster later on by students on their, on their protests and so on and so forth. Print has this very nice political uh, actually, I think, uh, effect in general, uh, which we don't have enough in the uh, sc screen or digital world. Um, I will show you some uh, actual examples now, like dive into the maps a bit. This, is the, this was the overall, uh, you know, what the platform is about. Um, one example I, I liked a lot, uh, again, this uh, map called Syrian refugees and the NGOs that they are, the NGOs helping them, supporting them in Turkey. As you know, there's a pa passage you know, from Syria border to Tur Tur Turkey and then all the way to, you know, Greece and, you know, European borders, basically. Um, and all may, you may know as well, there's a big deal trying to, the European Union is trying to uh, uh, close with Turkey to turn Turkey into a police country, to block the, all the refugee flow to the European Union, actually. That's a big, important issue at the moment. They pay, they want to pay around $5 billion in some, euros or something like that at the moment. Anyways, but this map is about the cities in, in Turkey, Istanbul and other cities. They are mostly like border cities. 
um, and, and the NGOs, international, local, uh, national and local, and who are supporting in different ways to these, these Syrian refugees. Um, for instance, we can zoom in. So I'm just simulating this interaction because it's easier to go through these slides. So when you mouse over a node, for instance, the city of Gaziantep, and you see its immediate connections highlighted, and the rest is turned off. So this way you focus on the particular diagram, uh, particular area within the map. Uh, these are like the refugee camps, you know, the brown ones, and then there are uh, the blue ones are international organizations, and then the, this other the greenish uh, color is the organizations from Turkey, national. And you can, you can see UNHCR and other organizations quite familiar are active here. And if you mouse over UNHCR from Gaziantep one step further into the network diagram, you see the where else uh, UNHCR is active in the in this context. And you can you know also type in uh, in the search what type of UN organizations are active in this uh, topic. They are listed automatically. Like a type ahead um, uh, search uh, within the within the graph. Um, some other cities and so on. You can explore it like that, basically. Um, and as I said, like people come here and then uh, write comments and then you know really say, for instance, you know, Doctors Without Borders, as an example, was very active in Turkey uh, naturally in this during this uh, uh, process. And then somebody from Doctors Without, Doctors Without Borders came here and then said, you know, we are actually not here, but here. You know, can you change that connection? So they changed the author made the change in the map, basically. And all these data is referenced as well in the notes. I'll come to that a little later. I'll show you another example now. Mm, this is the media ownership uh, in Turkey. Uh, this is the map I've been also participated as a researcher uh, in 2013. Here, basically, what you see is like the mass media channels, all the TVs and newspapers, and who's who's owning them, and, and what else, what other contracts they have from the government. This is a very important, I think, uh, relationship because, as you know, these companies never talk about uh, the critical issues. The media, media companies never feature those critical issues if they have uh, uh, some interest in that uh, issue, you know, and through the government contracts, obviously. And this is more or less the same everywhere in the world, I think. So let's zoom in. This like CNN as an example, that CNN, Turk, Turkish branch of CNN basically owned by this company called Doğan Holding and they in fact own many other uh, you know newspapers like Hürriyet is like maybe Guardian or something maybe even more popular than that in Turkey and they own these different newspapers at the same time they do a, a project uh, a power plant project called Astancık uh, and in that project which is contracted by the government they are um, in, in partner with other companies, like you see here, Doge Energy, Dolsar, and so on. Energy is like energy, basically. And if you uh, go one step in these relationships a bit further, you will see that you know Do Doge Energy is belongs to Doge Holding Company. They have similar names, but they are different holding companies, quite huge. And you, you, and you see Doge Holding is also owns uh, different news channels, like CNBC and so on, so forth in Turkey as well. And TV, as an example, is the top TV channel at the moment, uh, kind of competing with CNN within Turkey. Of course, they manipulate the public opinion. Obviously, it's now news, but and this is the rationale, you know, why they manipulate the public opinion, I think. So zooming back, this was the area that we just looked at, you know, and this is a really quite a large map, a large world again. So you can only tell the small stories and then navigate the small, from the small story to the larger picture from the, using these interactions. Um, 
and these uh, nodes also contain um, detailed information in them. It's not just their like, dot and then line. When you click on a, no on, on a single node, you see that it contains a lot of other uh, like a biographical or uh, portrait-like data points. This is the information card, basically. It's what we call note card or information card. In that, it says this is the third airport built in Turkey at the Istanbul at the moment. And then it started in 2013. It has this much of uh, a budget, and it's actually these are the uh, data sources that you can click on. And then there are other relationships which are sh saying that these are the companies who are building this project, basically, or, or who got this contract from the government, in other words. In the newest iteration of this work, we have also financial uh, organizations who actually fund this uh, construction. It's a huge construction. And this is like, as an example, like the third airport is here. And then uh, around the third airport, you see these certain companies, Kolin Inşaat, Kalyon Inşaat, Inşaat means construction. Um, uh, and then these construction companies together built this huge, giant project. And at the same time, you, if you just expand a bit more, you will see they, will, they, they also own media channels. So this project I showed you was part of this uh, actual a larger uh, project called Networks of Dispossession. And there are like more than 30 maps now like this. Like media is only one aspect of it. There are other aspects like, you know, the, the food and, and market chains and stuff like that. These are you know, other things that we also, architects and stuff, uh, other data points and aspects we looked at uh, in regard, you know, in relation to this um, uh, topic. Um, so, uh, the thing about graph commons is that you, uh, when people, or when you have a, like a large project like this, which have a lot of data points and you know and interesting uh, aspects, you don't just make one graph, but instead you build a knowledge base, a, a database actually, a graph database uh, for your project, and then make a lot of different views to this, and which are all graphs. Uh, and then and also stories as well. And these are some of the examples. That, and organizations also use this system, not just projects. Like as an NGO housing citizens assembly, uh, as a simple project is from uh, Zurich University a Research Laboratory. Uh, and SALT is a cultural institution in Turkey who are doing um, research, uh, cultural research in general, art and cultural research. Here's a, like a foundation from New York doing like uh, art granting overall, and they map the impact of their grants and so on. Um, and they have special pages, what we call hubs, basically data hubs for these uh, organizations or projects. Um, this is another example, very different topic now. Here we see uh, the Simpoid from Zurich University. That what they do is um, they map the, the, the European Union policies on climate re uh, regulation climate uh, and finance regulations. For instance, the red dots on the center are the, the policy uh, proposals uh, by the European Union, and then they are consult, uh, uh, there are consultations around them. Basically, companies are asked to respond to these policies, and they have some opinion, you know, um, some, some uh, report, for instance. And, and if the report, if they're, and from those reports, you can understand if they are su sub, uh, supporting or uh, are, are opposing these policies, basically. So, if, for instance, when you focus on one of them, again, my mouse over carbon tax as an example, you see among all the different companies and, and organizations, uh, Shell is the only one who's opposing, as an example. Not so news. Oh, there's one actually here as well. I think a German, uh, German company. And if you, Go to another, for instance, uh, more popular uh, policy. 
people and companies have very different opinions. There are also NGOs here, like Greenpeace and so on, not just companies. Um, and if you focus on one of the companies, for instance, instead, and you can see the quite quick list of you know, what Shell opposes, what it supports. As another example, you know, you can easily navigate from one company to another or one policy to another, so you have this different point of view in a single map. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm going to switch to another topic now uh, and then finish it with I think one more one step later. Uh, so we also look at the government uh, data, in, uh, uh, especially in Turkey, uh, working with the. So there's a government website like the, any other you know, country, like the data.gov UK. You may have that. We have a similar thing. Um, so we ex uh, scrape data from these pages. It's quite complicated, but we figured it out, and then it works so far. Uh, what we collect is all the profiles of the parliament members. Uh, historically, it goes back to 20 years. And uh, we, profile, we collect all the, um, the, the law the proposals, policy proposals they have, what they signed actually. It's also collected. So it's a big network of parliament member and their signature or signed document basically. Um, and there's more of that. And, and uh, so we put them into this little, one of these hubs on Graph Commons as a, as a graph knowledge base. So you can actually use it uh, for many reasons actually at the end of parliament. So one thing we did is one time, it was a, this is a news piece says that uh, this company called uh, Katmarjar Holding here um, uh, is actually uh, also the producer of Toma. The Toma means uh, water cannon uh, tanks basically. Um, uh, and they also do a lot of uh, tear gas production and some stuff like that. So they, they made big uh, revenue that year, 2015. And as we see this news, very interesting. Okay, let's look at who's these guys behind Katmajar holding company. We found that these people, like these people here, are the board members of this company. At the same time, they are the parliament members uh, and from the current government, which is AKP party, AK party. Um, here it is, yeah, those four, four guys. They are the board members, they are the owners of that company, which makes a lot of money from you know, public control, uh, protest control systems. And they also propose a lot of different laws. You can, you can take a look at that. Um, this is one little uh, proposal, policy proposal. They made, they all signed together. And you can, in this little card, because it's all captured automatically from the website, there are references, uh, numbers, or you know, even links to the PDF files that we captured earlier and so on and so forth. So the public can actually, you know, uh, compared to that news, they can actually see this type of mapping uh, logic behind that and then start exploring the, the, these guys and their, you know, what they've done in the parliament. Yeah. Could you uh, translate the uh -huh. It says Katmarji is the company's name, holding their, uh, and then their board members, uh, and their board members' activity in the parliament. And it was a bit weird translation, but yeah. Um, yeah, so you can focus on these guys and what else they've done. You can exp you know, expand their uh, different connections that we captured from the parliament uh, activities. The other thing about parliament, one more thing we've done is the, uh, uh, the actual activity on the, the, the stage of the parliament. You know, there's a little uh, you know, uh, uh, place where you give a speech and that's where you also have immunity, total immunity. So no one can touch you. Whoever touches you will be jailed for sure. doesn't matter who they are. It can be a prime minister or anything. So it's very important to you know, speak independently there. Like the House of Commons, I guess, have similar rules. Um, so what we do there is basically, 
this is also recorded. Whatever you give a speech in this, you know, in this place, and everything is recorded. All the reactions are recorded, and they are typed, actually, and then published automatically on this website. So we captured that as well. And, and actually, I organized that workshop, which is, this, this was done in that workshop, um, uh, where the participants made a map of uh, who says what about whom. And then also, it's like a semantic analysis of the text, basically, uh, and turned into a graph structure. You know, from the written text. Um, basically, what we looked at is not just the topics, but more the reactions of the audience to the speaker. Sometimes they clap, sometimes they, you know, uh, they hit the tables and stuff like that, they make noise, it's all out there. And so these are different parties, current different dominant parties. Red dots are the people, the MPs. Green dots are their speech. So they had a lot of speech points, and each speech point has connection to an MP, obviously, and then to other parties who reacted them. And parties usually react as blocks, you know. One party completely either claps it or completely, you know, just says, shouts at them and so on and so forth. And if you zoom into the details, you'll see this is the, the title of the speech. Um, it's about something budget, some, some discussion about budget, basically, in some topic. And some t then this guy, Akutardolu, is the person from JHP party, and he is doing the speech. And then there are different reactions from different parties. You can, this is a huge, large graph, actually. You can zoom into any of the MP or a speech or a particular party and then start exploring the activity in the parliament stage, basically. It says like noise coming from one direction, <laughs> or you know the clapping from other direction, and, and uh, all speech on this direction. So also for the some details from that. Um, okay, that's about it more or less. This is what I wanted to show you, and then because I didn't do too much, in I didn't go too much into artistic practice, and I wanted to stay more on this like form, uh, platform side, let's say. And, and we can a bit discuss if you have any ideas or questions about this. Okay, thank you. Um, I have uh, just had one question regarding the structure of the graph. I was wondering whether your the, the interactive graph that's presented also has some mechanism by which it would be possible to assign a weight to the edges between two nodes. So mm -hmm. A user can work out whether a particular link is not only just a link between two nodes, but the strength of that link. Mm -hmm. A good question, yes. Uh, you can add weights to the connections as well as directions to the connections, both ways. Uh, so I think in terms of like my communications, for instance, if we have frequent emails, we can use that uh, frequency as the weight of our connection. Or we can assign um, an ab like an abstract uh, scale like from 1 to 5, and you can say this connection is 5, this connection is 1, this connection is 2 and 3. So there's this both ways of uh, uh, making edges, edge weights or connection weights between things, which also is used in the layout algorithm to for calculating the proximity between nodes and stuff. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for your talk. Um, I'm just wondering what the balance between um, automated presentation of information and interpretation is. And I was wondering this in the context of the parliamentary speeches. Um, so how, how does the information about responses get introduced into the graph? Is that hmm. through notations in the transcript or is that through interpretation by a journalist? And mm -hmm. uh, the kind of follow-on is um, what interpretive 
um, skills are necessary to either participate or to interpret these graphs? Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for the question, it's a really good one. Uh, so the parliamentary speech text has notations in them uh, by the person who's typing it, I think. Uh, in parentheses, they say the reaction. So we only capture that part. To, it's not semantic analysis, just looking at those notations, the parentheses. In between, it has something, so it, it's uh, repeatedly the same, basically, words. So from there, you can extract uh, what the reaction is about. Uh, that was how it was actually extracted. Mm. Uh, regarding, you said, how people uh, explore these things, um, uh, it's not easy. First of all, uh, normally all these speeches are, of course, uh, broadcasted on TV and also online. Uh, you can watch the whole parliament speeches from YouTube videos and stuff. Uh, and we didn't try too hard to really push this information out, to be honest, but people who ever discovered this from social media links and stuff um, and just started exploring this. And then they, what they do is that you, they look for a certain topic. They type ahead on the search and then find this uh, speech point. And then from there, they find who's giving the speech, you know, and then also what the reactions are to the speech, basically. And if they are more interested, there's a full text link to the full text uh, of the speech itself. Uh, yeah, this is how it was being explored. There wasn't really an analysis of it like on top of this, uh, but we, our goal was to really push the raw data itself in this graph format yeah, first. Maybe later somebody will do the analysis on top of that. Yeah, thank you for the talk. Um, I, I don't know if you covered it with the uh, aid groups working in Turkey, but can you do this overlaid onto a map? So they're actually in the geolocated mm. in the right location um, and still connected, you know, sort of mm -hmm. in a theoretical line. Yeah, um, so it's a very hard thing to do before anything, like connect, uh, combining a geographical map and a network diagram, because normally it's too arbitrary, you know? Um, because on network diagram, you try to organize the nodes, the layout, based on the proximity between things. You know, the program works that way. But in the geography, you have fixed node locations, obviously, you know, for any node, geographical tag things. Um, this works together only if, the, if there's really a physical connection between, uh, between the nodes, basically, you know. Uh, this is just logically. But... Um, we, with the new version of Graphcoms, we release, make, we make a lot of releases often. Uh, so I think in two weeks, we'll have a geographical support. So you will be able to have the network map on top of our actual geo, geo map, basically. And I've done myself work like this in my actual current exhibition in Manchester right now. Uh, there's one piece about the mosques. Mosques have geolocations, geo obviously. There's 3,000 mosques in Istanbul. And... and um, I made, made a map of the mosques and how their sound, the call to prayer sounds, overlap. This is a very physical and also relational uh, connection. Uh, that was one good example of use of this. And I think usually flow diagrams, like you know, human flow or you know, material like flow, yeah, could be also mapped chain, like that. Supply chain solutions. Supply chains, yeah. If you're a car manufacturer, you need this one of five factories and whatever you want to yeah. know, whatever, which one. Exactly, yeah. So for these reasons, we are actually releasing this uh, feature where we have the geographical and diagrammatical things on top of each other, basically. Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. cool. um, yeah sorry, actually, uh, on that point, is it, does it often result in a lot of data points being sort of overlapped, especially if there's sort of refugee support or something? They all end up being in the same place in a lot of sports. 
quite mm. heaped on top of each other, so it doesn't look. It's not very clear the data that comes out if it's geographically mapped, right? Is it quite heaped? That's true. I mean, geographical maps and diagrams. When you combine them, it's really messy. It's yeah. clear uh, because you cannot move things because they are fixed to locations. Mm. You have to zoom in to really see the details into this. Yeah. Uh, I think zoom helps in general to get rid of the clutter, but usually it's very difficult to look at from outside. You know. Yeah. You use like a sort of z-axis where you have a sort of 3D view and you have pins that sort of mm. lifted up from a location or something. I don't know. Yeah, 3D view yeah. is also very difficult because yeah. in these maps, um, the one point is to to make it 2D. Especially is uh, the size of the nodes uh, represent some information. Mm -hmm. For instance, number of connections they have that shows how important they are within the diagram, uh, or the between the centrality, how uh, bridge are they in between clusters and stuff. So you can assign those values to the node size, which makes a big, you know, different. You have different node sizes. When you make it 3D, you lose the lose the uh, depth, uh, actually the size comparison, mm -hmm. because it, it, the big one is on the front or in the back. It's all mixed yeah. up. So that's why it's very tricky to use 3D. 3D is only good for navigation. Not for representation, to be honest. Like, I don't yeah. think it tells a good story. Well, it tells a good story because you navigate in yeah. 3D worlds, but uh, it doesn't. It's not very effective. I mean, you have this analysis uh, perspective. Yeah. You do like uh, was it parallel projection rather than perspective views, right? I guess to to lose the perspectivization of, sort of parallel projection. What is that? Mean? Parallel projection. It's like um, sort of. 30-60 or 45-45 where you don't you don't have perspective basically it's all mapped huh. and it stays the same size okay uh, it might be a good technique to try yeah um, hi I've got a few questions from mm. Twitter um, so oh. Stuart from ODI Leads has asked uh, does the site have any limit on how many connections a data set can have hmm so each graph uh, basically is limited by the browser capacity and then your computer capacity. Uh, so uh, normally, I think the, the current uh, technologies we have, uh, you can very easily uh, you know, have a graph that has 500 to 800 nodes, more or less, and many connections in between. If you go, if you go further, like more than 1,000 nodes, in a single graph uh, in your browser, it could be a bit tricky and difficult. But we have this thing called WebGL uh, technology, which actually uses your graphic card to make runs things faster and so on. So with that, we also improve up to you know a couple thousands actually. But the thing is, there's a perception problem. Then you, as a person, a weaver checking out these maps, where to look at it becomes a bit difficult. Um, as the the author, you can really use that in high numbers like that. But you might have challenges when you are trying to, to, you know, publish this story or this whatever map to the world. People will not get it easily. That's more like a perception problem. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, and one from Beck Strickland, who's asked, can you import a CSV of data containing the nodes and relationship information, or does it have to be added manually? Um, yeah, so you can, as I said a bit earlier in the presentation, there's an import option where you can import a Google spreadsheet or actual Excel CSV file into it and not just for relationships but also for the node details like for the cards that you, you I showed earlier uh, and then when you import it on top of the existing graph it will update if it actually matches the actual data points there's more information about that on the graph commons blog blog.graphcommons.com actually I think it's yeah we can you can I can show it from here yeah thank you and then finally from ODI Ottawa uh, quite similar to what you 
Does Graph Commons support slash plan to support temporal graph data enabling graph evolution or change visualizations? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So temporality is a very ch challenging thing to do in the graphs usually. Um, but I didn't show here, but we have a timeline option. Uh, so in timeline, basically your graphs can be animated as time changes. So you can actually observe a graph of a network diagram. And as long as you have data about time, basically, you know, you can have uh, <coughs> your nodes properties uh, set, you can set your node properties, uh, some number or some time element. And that will, this how you basically have time in the graph. And then if you have that, you can use filters Filter, uh, filter the, the graph into a certain time area, uh, limit, or, or, or you can actually move the filter and so on and have an animation in between. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wondered if you tested or if you had plans for the inclusion of um, reportage or testimonial. There's, I think there's a, a a project uh, that's been running a long time called Ushahidi, which is around testimony from, mm. particularly from Africa, mm -hmm. um, yeah. from people are talking about what's happening on the ground yeah. in a sort of uh, local journalism reportage style. Mm. Um, and so I wondered if there was an opportunity for pulling in uh, that kind of witness testimony, either in free text or in the form of mm. photographs or something, whether there was any yeah. possibility of that. That's a very interesting question. Uh, like in a way, it goes as kind of like crowdsourcing, like uh, idea basically. <coughs> when it's possible, I mean, because they have the API before everything else, uh, you can write a program as a new service that can do this, that can transform like your existing, even you share you share the his existing data into the diagram. Um, but also, yeah, we've been we, because our community is mostly involved these like people, in journalists, activists, and organizations, and so on. There's kind of a demand, like a demand like this at the moment, um, and and I think we're planning on some new features that will kind of address this a bit. Um, um, so, currently, currently, for as an example, there's one experiment already done in this area. Uh, you know, on Twitter, when you use a certain Twitter structure, a tweet structure, like hashtag something add something, you know, another hashtag, which is a connection to another add something, you can start making connections with the tweet itself. Somebody wrote a program for this, actually. And so you can actually tweet connections, you know, between entities and whatever the entity is about. And that becomes into a graph, aggregated into a graph and so on. So this is one way of doing this, I think, um, an easy way, because everyone uses tweet Twitter these days. Uh, but we, we may have more explicit uh, features that, that support this type of activity. I think it's a good idea in general. Yeah. Of course, there's always a problem of uh, data quality and you know the references and so on and so forth. And there's different ideas about that, like how to how to um, how to secure the data quality because when you say something, it's not true, or we don't know if, it, if there's no reference, you cannot really trust on that information as well. Uh, question this way as well. Yeah. Hey, it's um, a really interesting talk, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, from the kind of journalistic point of view and the use in newspapers and stuff, has it been used for just kind of a visual uh, explanation to the public about how the connections are made or has it actually been used to throw up unknown connections between different companies, politicians? 
um, through corruption or other such. And has there been any changes that have come from the use of the data? So I'm thinking like change of policy, hmm. bringing down of politicians. Hmm. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> uh, but some things we know, for instance, uh, as an example, uh, the media ownership map uh, was quite effective in Turkey. It became very popular, like literally, you know, you know, fifty thousand people were checking this out in a day or something like that in one of these uh, high moments. Um, but no one resigned or anything like that. But uh, we know the companies, people who work at the companies, they check these maps. I know this through friends who work at these companies or lawyers and so on and so forth. Um, uh, but the thing is, this data, we were never, we never had any problem, by the way, from the government either. So it's interesting, um, maybe governments and corporations don't care about this. They maybe take it as like a market analysis platform or something like that. Uh, we don't know about this effect yet. But it definitely creates awareness, definitely creates uh, very solid discussions. And I think it has effect on the activist community a lot, at, at all, because there's all these ecologists and, and you know the ecologist activists in Turkey, as an example, um, who defend you know the forest, the water, and so on and so forth. And they had really, um, I think I can tell that they've been using this uh, language of you know relation or indirect relationships between entities a lot now in their protests, in their campaigns, and so on. Um, and they f that means they focus on the companies, not just the issue itself, but the proponents and all the other people related to that uh, into the campaign. Uh, in that, it creates some literacy, I would say. Uh, uh, um, uh, but yeah, not direct effect on the I don't know at least you know, if companies were affected or not, really. Um, yeah. That was yeah. Thanks. You did say you were holding back from discussing it as an artist project. Uh, I would like you to see if you could go into that because uh, sure. my reaction kind of relates to you know, using it journalistically was also how this is something that can be developed by an artist as a programmatic exercise because there is a tradition of artists using the exhaustive mapping of mm -hmm. social and economic relationships. One particularly thinks of Hans Harker in relation to art institutions in New York and also Martha Rossler's project, which has uh, you know, gone on for really 30 years now and obviously has morphed into a much bigger presence through social media than actually something that had started as being you know, a, a gallery exhibition to exhibition mapping project. So if you could just say a bit yeah, about yeah. how it yeah. works for you as an artist project. Um, so like I can maybe give examples from my current show in Winchester right now, uh, which, which which is showing um, many examples actually, but one, uh, uh, one thing I, I've done in the past as an example is the, uh, but before everything, like, I'm definitely influenced by like, people like Hans Ake, you know, Guy Debord, who's like, who done use psychogeographical maps in this format, you know, uh, diagrammatic uh, connections between geographies. Or you know, um, uh, Mark Lombardi, for instance, another example who done like analysis of you know news articles to make up these interesting an analysis, and and um, or Mar you know George Massinas of Fluxus Movement, for instance, they were also like doing all this historical analysis of their own movements, like legitimization and so on and so forth. And my work is more focused on using data rather than the 
map is definitely one way of showing this, but that's not my point really. I, I use that just to communicate this a bit, you know, rather than that, it's the, the research, the data that is generated with this, um, with this work. And, and then I, as an artist, I don't like, as an example, call myself like a data visualizing person. I, I actually create data, new data, you know, about whatever the topics I'm focusing on. That's one thing. And then and I write software. That's the other aspect. I write software for my work, which is sometimes performative, you know, sometimes uh, just making predictions automatically, you know. One example is mm, this project called My Pocket um, that's currently on show again. It's a, it's a software that predicts what I'm going to buy next every other day. That's a live performance. I actually live with this program, you know, uh, and as I swipe my cards, the data goes into some financial cloud, and then from there, it goes into my bank. I can see it from the bank and use that data to make new predictions about my own spending as like a critique of this current situations we have at the moment. Things like that, you know, I, have, I use it a lot, like very, in the, I combine software data and, and, and performative things about like that. Uh, and, and one time, maybe another good example, like uh, on the art world itself, like self-criticism of the art world, uh, I do like, I've done work on artist and collector relationships. For instance, I uh, looked at the collectors, art collectors, and what artists they have in their collection, and then what other collection collectors are they in? Are these or those, those artists? I made these maps of artist-collector relationship. Uh, but for instance, for this work, I had to go and per, uh, convince these collectors to share this information that's actually private most of the time. Uh, these are not like museum collections or whatever, just individual collectors' uh, uh, pieces. So. And that work I had many versions, and I actually I showed that work every time I show it. Actually, I asked the institution to help me find more collectors who I can get data from, and so on and so forth. It shows the influence of collectors in the market. Obviously, you see you can track trace with the same technique, um, which artist is more central, which collector is more central or more in the periphery, and so on and so forth. They are all like quite visible, and this is raising new questions about the you know the market forces in the art world places. Different examples. Well, I think that brings us to the close of the event. Unless there's any burning questions online or from the floor, have we got any? Yeah, I would just cool. like to say thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, in the spirit of Tim Berners Lee's ambition for the World Wide Web, that it is for everyone, mm -hmm. I think we can all really show a hand of appreciation for the way that you're progressing that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.